It's time for 41 is the Mike, a weekly Chiefs podcast with Nick Jacobs of KSHB 41 and Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. 41 is the Mike starts now. Welcome, everyone. Yes, you are here. 41 is the Mike. I am Matt Derrick. Joining me is Amazon Prime enthusiast Nick Jacobs. That's right. We found a new enthusiasm of mine this week. I thought that Prime Vision was really, really cool, the way they, they do that in real time and how they put it together. So, I mean, I, I was watching that a lot. That was, uh, I don't know, that was that was really fun to see. It is ma- It really is amazing. You were showing me some of the clips, and it's, it is fantastic. I, I want to know where the glowing football is, though. We need a glowing football now. Well, see, Matt, you can't give uh, ev- you can't give viewers everything all at once because when you do, there's nothing to create for room of improve, you know, room for improvement. Yeah, not, see, I did not get to see the Prime Vision last night since being at the game. So, mm-hmm. you know, my only experience with Amazon Prime last night was the fact that the game started two minutes late because they can't figure out how to start the broadcast on time without running a bunch of promos and weird graphics and everything before the start when everybody's on the field just waiting to kick off. And but I digress. Well, you can't blame it on me because our our pregame show that I did right before it here in town <laughs> that I was producing, it ended exactly at 6.56 like it was supposed to because they had a four-minute break between us and uh, and the start of the uh, the game at 7 o'clock. And people that aren't in the TV industry, that is that is big. Advertising is uh, you want to make sure you satisfy the uh, ability to uh, have commercial breaks. Oh, we had we had the forty one sports uh, the pregame show on in the press box naturally, and so that was that was perfect. That was that was we we all love that. That was great stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, I remember when streaming didn't have commercials, Nick. That's how old I am. Yeah, no, I mean it. It happens, man. You know, <laughs> life comes at you fast, man. Before you know it, man, there'll be a new way to uh, to consume TV. Before we know it, wouldn't wouldn't have thought a decade ago I'd be watching you know, shows and everything on my cell phone. And, and, uh, here we are, here's the journey we've gone on, Matt. (laughs) And this right now, I think we are bringing Thursday night football energy to the Thursday night football podcast on Friday, breaking this down because we all know that Thursday night games in the NFL are unusual creatures. You can never predict them. You don't know what's going to happen. And they're usually ugly. And this one was ugly, Nick. I mean, it wasn't necessarily the prettiest football you've ever seen. Uh, I think there was some good, there was some bad, there was the ugly. But let's start with the good. Because to me, the good is that this defense is looking pretty legit, Nick. Yeah, and this defense, in my opinion, hasn't even hit its full stride yet of what I think they'll be down the road here. They're going to get some really good tests, obviously, against the Chargers, the Dolphins, uh, the Bills and the Bengals to just and the Eagles, just to name a few. So I mean, there's some tests coming on the road that'll kind of tell you where they're accurately at against playoff caliber football. They played they played a couple teams that I could that I consider playoff caliber football. And people may not agree with me, but like I said on the previous podcast, the Vikings have a playoff caliber offense, and so that was a good test. Now the record doesn't reflect it. Justin Jefferson's gone you know, out on IR for a little bit now. So, I mean, all those combined, you know, I get it in the full encompass of it. But, I mean, the Jaguars are another team that potentially, you know, could be in the playoffs. The Detroit Lions are a team that should be making the playoffs down the road here as long as there aren't injuries. So, I mean, the Chiefs have been tested more than people are trying to give the illusion to of it. But 
to against the upper upper echelon is when they're it's really going to start coming here over the next two months to where you'll have a you have an accurate reading on a lot of it. So it'll I, I'm intrigued to see where they're going to be. Obviously, getting Charles Aminahue coming back here now after the suspension that's going to be a really big jolt. And I think we'll see once he gets back into once he gets back into football stride. Um, from having been out for six weeks and kind of that may take three weeks, may take a month or whatever it'll take. But having him back is going to be a really big jolt for that defense. And obviously, I mean, I think getting Nick Bolton back last night was was a good jolt. Um, certainly didn't look like he missed much. I think he maybe was a little rusty early in the game. There was a missed tackle. Um, but as far as just, you know, picking up where he left off, as far as controlling that defense, didn't seem to miss a beat. Uh, they did miss Drew Tranquil in there a little bit. Um, just give him a breather, which seemed to work out pretty well. And that's probably good for, for Drew to keep in touch there. And um, and certainly the defense, I mean, like I said, I, like I said, other than maybe a couple of missed tackles here and there, this defense, the Broncos, I mean, as much of a dumpster fire as they have been, their woes have really been on the defensive side. And they've scored some points at times. I mean, they haven't been terrible. They haven't been great. But... 37 yards passing from Russell Wilson in the first half and 95, I think, for the game. That's pretty darn good defense. I mean, that's that that's not NFL 2023 numbers. Right. And I, I expected the Broncos early on on that first series to do well. Sean Payton's teams, you know, they have the, as it was mentioned on the broadcast, and I, I can't remember where I mentioned it at, um, they they do have success of scoring on the opening drive. They're one of the better teams opening drive wise because they have the whole week to put it together. The problem is when they start when other teams start making adjustments, it doesn't work out as well. Um, so they have to try to adjust, and they aren't able to counter punch on a on a routine basis to what they need to. And that part of that's going to be roster overall. Part of that's coaching staff. But uh, so I, I wasn't surprised the Broncos were able to successfully run early. And that the Broncos were able to kind of do what they did in that opening drive and the opening couple of drives. That wasn't stunned by that one bit. After that, kind of some of those were more aided by, you know, penalties that were called on the Chiefs or things of that nature to keep to keep the drives going. But I mean, look, I mean the the you know, that that team did the best the Chiefs defense did the best they could on a short week. And another part of it was you were trying to you were having to drop in the zones at times to take away certain things. And the chiefs were successfully able. And I noticed this whenever they got past the 50 and they started getting into chiefs territory, that's when Spagnuolo was like, all right, we're bringing a blitz. Now we're disrupting him, making him hurry his decision. And then it paid off for the chiefs to force some turnovers three different times. If I remember two of them were at past 50, that other one may not have been, but when he wanted to force the issue, Spagnuolo was able to force the issue, and he didn't really have to be as crazy or as exotic as he would have been against some other teams down the road that I think he will be in when to pick those spots. But Spagnuolo's got a really good feel with this team of when to force a quarterback out of rhythm. Yeah, and uh, you know, and this—I mean, this was by by far Denver's worst offensive performance of the year. Only score eight points. Their previous load had been sixteen, a hundred and ninety-seven yards of offense. Um, I mean, if there's going to be some leaky defense, Nick, and you're going to give up one hundred and fifteen yards on the ground, which honestly isn't that bad either. But if you're only going to give up 197 yards, to me, you can you can have a leaky run defense all you want to. If you're only going to give up 197 total, yeah, yeah. So I mean that. And I think I know this sounds bad of me to say, 
but I think they were okay with them running the ball and getting that because, like, hey, they're winding on the clock too. So that's fine if they want to make this a quicker game for all of us. So in some ways, that actually wasn't necessarily a bad thing. That made it – because, man, we were already going into the fourth quarter somewhere between 9.30, 9.36. The only reason I would know or care about that is because that determines when I when I <laughs> when I clock out for the night, <laughs> and we were originally slated to start our post game at about ten fifteen was when the expectation was the game would be over, and and it actually ended a couple I want to say around that time or maybe a couple minutes before, maybe two or three minutes before, two or three minutes after, but it was in the ballpark. So I mean, it, hey, I I was not complaining one bit about that. There was the, another thing that stood out to me about the defense last night, and that was that. They created some turnovers. That's the one thing that through the first five weeks of the season, as good as this defense had been, hadn't really been doing it with a bunch of turnovers. But last night, force a couple of interceptions, uh, get a fumble you know, recovery as well. And uh, to me, I think one of the things that was unique about it is that those were team turnovers. You know, it was not an individual play in any one spot, particularly because it was a couple of tip passes. It was, you know, a, a forced fumble and a recovery. I mean, this was group tackling. This was clogging up passing lanes, getting hands on the ball, that kind of thing. I mean, this that's that's how this team is going to create turnovers. And last night they finally got some in some bunches. Yeah, and and the Bolton one, from what I remember from watching Prime Vision, uh, when I got to see that, when I get to see kind of like the almost equivalent of all twenty two, um, and that's what I love about that. Among being able to have the graphics show where the routes are going or their movement during that, and and it stays on their entire time. I'm going to keep raving about it throughout the entire podcast. I'm just saying, um, but to watch how they, they were trying, I knew coming into this, the Russell Russell's wheelhouse is play action pass. So they needed the run to work so he could set up the play action pass. And with the chiefs linebackers, not named drew tranquil, they bite up pretty hard on, on run fakes. So they were counting on Nick Bolton to bite up hard on that first interception. He actually didn't. And he stayed back. And, and I think that's a, for me personally, I think that's a little part of the puzzle of what the chief, why the chiefs let the run happen the way it did. Cause they didn't bite so hard on the run. Like they would have in other games and they were okay with taking, you know, three or four here and giving up three or four there because they needed to stay back to in some of the zones to take those away. So the Broncos didn't get cheap, easy completions like the lions did in week one because of it. So that's where I think they were willing to, they were willing as a, as my famous phrase, Matt, they were willing to lose the battle to win the war. And that's what they that's what they did. That's what I think they did part of it with that one. Next one, if I remember correctly, was a blitz. They used a blitz to dictate what they wanted. And then one of the blitzers smacked the ball up and Reed was able to make the interception off of it. And then third one, just Trent McDuffie, yet again, finding a way, making getting that ball out. And I mean, hey, that this that's gonna be what's gonna be key for this Chiefs defense overall is to create more possessions for the offense to hopefully, and if you can do it in favorable territory, even better. Um, but that's a big part of what this chief's offense is going to have to do to take away possessions from other teams, give those back to the offense and keep those to, in, in a way, keep those teams uh, off the scoreboard. 
Yeah, and the the Bolton one, I mean, it stood out to me for sure because Nick has been a guy that has been, you know, uh, rightly or wrongly, I mean, critiqued for not being the best in pass coverage, but that was absolutely perfectly done. I mean, he laid in wait in the zone and just kind of baited the hook, and Russell fell for it, did not see him, and and made a very athletic play on the ball. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Bolton did everything perfectly because normally in the past he'd, he'd bite up pretty hard. And like his recovery to get back in the zone isn't, it's just not as fluid as he would probably want it to be, or he would like it to be because he's a big, he's a big physical enforcer. And that's what he brings to the table. Other than being an incredibly smart and savvy football player, there are just some things athletically that he can't, that keep him from being a complete linebacker, like tranquil is in some regards, but I mean, still, he's a really good linebacker and, a great role player overall and good leader for that defense. And you want to find a way where you can get him and tranquil out on the field together on a regular basis. And then look, Leo, Leo Chanel, that's a guy that he can, he can bring some physicality to it. And then Willie Gay can bring some speed. So, I mean, they, they've got a good compliment in their linebacking group overall. The only blemish on the night is the touchdown. Cortland Sutton made a fantastic catch. I mean, the once once again, even on the, on that play, the coverage was there. Um, that was just a tough catch. Give it up to the kid. But um, aided by what I thought was a soft roughing the passer call. I'm interested to see what you think. I'm not surprised they called it because of him landing on top of him. Had he landed on his own shoulder and maybe hurt himself or worse, um, then then it doesn't get called, but he may have a shoulder injury afterwards. But that's kind of what they do. And it, it's just kind of it's I hate to say it this way, but it like it's what it's what I respected in Trent McDuffie on Sunday. Because on some of the blitzes, he could have laid out Kirk Cousins and he didn't. He did it in a way to where he affected his uh, the angle of his arm and hitting the football but still being able to have a, a presence as a blitzer and not smacking the heck out of them. Um, and so I, I, and Chris Jones, the Chris Jones has become a, he's become an artist ever since the Derek Carr issue last year and the Matt Ryan issue to where you watch him just basically lay, lay the quarterback down gently. Like he's, you know, getting, you know, like it just, he, he's not taking any chance. He'll get up and run away he doesn't talk. He doesn't take the chance of talking anymore. Like just Chris is such a pro at it now and just such a seasoned veteran. It's funny to watch him when that happens. So, I mean, I, I, I wasn't surprised that they were going to call it on Mike Edwards. I mean, it didn't for them. It doesn't matter size wise. It's all, all his weight was all on it. This is on national TV. We better call it because everybody, all eyes are on it. So I, I don't, I'm not upset with the refs. I don't fault the refs on it. I mean, at the end of the day, they they perform the letter of the law, the rule. While some referees don't necessarily perform, you know, they're not going to call it to the letter to T of the law like you know some are. So it just that was kind of the crew the Chiefs got tonight. But at the end of the day, I wasn't I was like, yeah, it happened, and it helped make the touchdown happen. So kind of is what it is on that one. Uh, on any time that the, the flag comes out for roughing the pass on a penalty like that, I just go back to the Winnie the Pooh gif of, of Pooh getting tucked in the, under the covers and everything. That's exactly how you have to lay down the quarterback pretty much in this league. And like to note, um, Russell Wilson is bigger than Mike Edwards. Um, listed like 10 pounds heavier. I think it's a lot more than that because Russell's, I think, a little bit bigger now and Mike's pretty trim. So, yeah, I mean, if one of those guys is going to land on the other, it would have been a lot worse the other way around for Mike. But once again, I mean, it's it's almost to me a 
you're in the NFL, you've almost made it against the rules to get unblocked on a blitz. Because what else is Mike Edwards supposed to do but make a form tackle there? Um, I mean, I know the league wants him to turn so he lands on his side and doesn't land on the quarterback, but you know, he didn't bounce on him or anything like that. And 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 I talked to Mike in the locker room. He said he did not get any explanation from the officials about it. So he was he was as frustrated as everybody else. But um a, a tough play and really the only thing that led to the the Denver score. Other than that, this defense pitched a shutout. And I know they wanted they want to shut out and I think they might get one this season. I mean, they've got some tough games on the schedule, but they're playing well enough that they might just pull it off. As Good as the defense was perfect. I mean, there's hard to say. I mean, it was almost unperfect from beginning to end. The offense wasn't bad at times. They were certainly were able to move the ball at moments. Red zone and short yardage was a different situation, Nick. And is this is this Thursday night football? Is this just four days of rest and the the problems that you see that it's hard to have the energy on a Thursday night when you've already had a hard, hard fought win. And then you're coming back four days later and you're trying to do it all again. Yeah. I, I think that was a lot of the overall performance where I think that Chiefs defense would have performed even better on seven days rest. I, I genuinely believe that I, I just saw a very tired team, a team that was, that was gritting through it. that was doing what they had to do to get the win. And they understood that it wasn't going to be perfect. It wasn't going to be great by any means, but they were going to lean into what they could and try to effectively do what they could as an offense, defense, special teams, and hopefully they would have enough enough points to to beat the other team. I would have been more concerned if they had blown to wherever for the Thursday night game. I think that would have been an even more sluggish performance, and I think they, I think people would be even more frustrated if they had to fly because I still remember the Thursday night game when Alex Smith was a quarterback. The Chiefs went and played Oakland late in the year. And they had two physical games before that between the Bills and it was either Bills Seahawks or it was Browns Bills. I'm getting my Thursday nights mixed up at this point by year, but I know they went in there. Uh, Oakland was winless at the time. Derek Carr was a rookie and he came in and played that game and the Chiefs just had another sluggish performance that night. They had to lean on Jamal to really try to bail, bail him out of, uh, out of that sluggishness overall. And then the Raiders came away with their first win, but the Chiefs had to fly across, you know, fly across travel, um, almost halfway across country after two very physical performances back to back. And the that you knew that was going to catch up with them. So, I mean, the fact that the Chiefs get the benefit of being at home honestly probably got them the win last night for the most part and gave Kelsey and Mahomes and whoever else needed whatever rest that they needed. It gave them a little bit more extra time and not having to fly to kind of help their bodies heal up even a little bit more. And it may not seem like that's a big deal, but those little fractions can make all the difference in a Thursday night game. Whenever guys are waking up on Monday morning, sore, achy, and then they all got to do whatever they got to do treatment wise, practice wise to be able to, kind of grit through that and then you get to tuesday where you're trying to do it all over again and the wednesday where you're doing pieces but you're trying to do more treatment than anything so yeah it's just that's a that's that's where it was interesting when when the coaches were being asked this week about maybe having a bye week ahead of that i think you would see a better thursday night football product if there was two if there's two bye weeks and that is one of them for the teams that are going to play on thursday night i think people would be very surprised that what the product would look like. I just don't know numbers wise, how the, how the league would have to go about it or approach it to be able to make that happen. 
Yeah, I mean, it, I think if you're the Chiefs, I mean, for one, I think you're just happy to get out of Thursday night with a win. Right. And, and there was, there's another factor with this, too. I mean, to me, which is that I didn't necessarily feel like that the offensive game plan was all that creative. I mean, I think it was fairly vanilla. Yeah, the the trickery on some third and shorts and the decision to fake the field goal kind of a different part of the game plan, you know, to me, I mean, those are some different situations, um, but the rest of it, I mean, to me, it looked like Andy Reid was planning for two games at the same time because he knows he's got this team again in 17 days. And, you know, to me, I am knowing Andy Reid and the way he coaches, why do you want to kick sand in the face of a, a some guy who's a team who's down and get them fired up and encouraged and show them your best stuff when you know you're going to see them again and it's going to be on the road to me this this smelled of Andy Reid wanting to get this game in out done and won and make sure that when you go to Denver in 17 days that you're ready for ready for a, a bigger battle Matt again you're doing the motto this is going to be the <laughs> podcast motto and I think you're 100% right on that point because you know because I'm just trying to look one week ahead right now, but you're 100% right. I mean, yes, they I mean, they don't want to show their best stuff to the Denver Broncos right now because if you can get away with this with, you know, players that say players are hypothetically, I'm just going to put out percentages because people love percentages. Say the players were at 50 or 60% yesterday. Well, you know, when they get to 100 or as close to 100 as they're going to be when they play them in 17 days, that's that's – you know, that's 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 when you wear your best dress at that point, Matt, as you would say. But like you said, Matt, right there, you had the key point, though, in that motto. What I was hearing was Andy Reid is worried more about the war than the battle. There so you go. You know, that's that's going to that's going to follow me around forever now. <laughs> I know. <it's, laughs> but I mean, but that's that's really what this coaching staff has always been about. Like they're, they understand, yeah. like, you know, they're not they're not always. There's things that they want to work on on offense. There's things that they're trying that they want to they want to do because there's certain expectations they have on a regular basis now and a certain standard. So they know, I hate to say in this regard, that the entire season at times can be the equivalent of a scrimmage or a training camp at times. I know they'll never say that, but they know where they can get their wins for sure and where they're really going to have to push it at other times. But if they don't, you know, if they don't win some of those, as long as they can put in the right formations to read what they need to with that defense and how the defense will react off of it or how the offense will react off certain things, then again, that gives themselves the opportunity when the playoffs come around. When it truly matters, then that's whenever you strike with some of those things. And there, there, the one play that I know got a lot of attention last night is the fake field goal because it, it certainly cost the Chiefs points. I mean, you feel like if you'd kicked it, you'd certainly at least get three. I think, based on what I heard last night from Andy Reid, I think his regret wasn't necessarily the fake, but deciding not to go for it and just keep his offense on the field for one more play. Um, because I think about it in the light of day, I mean, you know, you and I both know that's not a, a, a decision that initiates and starts with Andy Reid. That was Dave Tobe seeing something that thought that that play would work against the Broncos, wanting to run it, wanting to call it, and Andy just choosing not to use his 51% at that moment to overturn it. So to me, it's not – I mean, if you want to put it on Andy Reid because he agreed with his special teams coach who thought he had something, 
I get that, but I, I think it, at the same time, if you want this team to be more aggressive, Andy basically said he, you know, told us. I think that if he had to do all over again, I think he would have kept his offense on the on the ground on fourth down. What do you think? I mean, I would have. I so I mean, part of the thing he'll have to factor into that situation with what you're talking about there, and obviously you're not definitively saying that's what happened. You know, you're not. The, that's your theory on that part of it for people right. out there saying Matt Derrick reported. And, you know, they, that's not what he said. <laughs> not what he said. Uh, Just saying how it normally works. Yes, yes, and and you're giving an educated guess based off of it, not reporting anything. Um, no, but I mean, like I, I uh, personally, part of me thinks when I saw it, I'm like, okay, he was really impressed with what the Vikings did against him as we all were, because that was incredibly creative what the Vikings did in their punt. And then the Lions just did an old-school, traditional way. And the fact that they're not able to have as effective impact on kick returns and some of the other ways in the past that special teams could have, I think Dave Tobe's trying to find a way to, you know, to I hate to say it in this way, but to kind of be a difference maker. Find a new way as a special teams coordinator to be a difference maker in a football game so he's having to try to come up with creative ways. Now, the problem with this one is the long snapper is not going to drive anybody forward. So if you're trying to do something like that, the long snapper is not the guy that's going to get that job done for you. And that's not me. And that's not me trying to insult James Winchester. That's just called logic because he's Reality. not playing center all game. <laughs> so like if you're doing that at the point of attack, it's one thing if they did like a pass off of it. And one of those things, which I wouldn't even want Tommy Townsend to do, but I mean, I know, you know, I know he's capable of it. Like if you're wanting to do one of those things, then okay. I I'm personally, I always want the ball in Patrick Mahomes hands because of the way he can decipher between run and pass and his options there. And what I mean by that is like, I'm, I'm a traditional person in the fact that with a quarterback that has Patrick Mahomes ability, I want on any play, I can give him the option to throw it or to take off running that is more effective and that gets you better results than anything else. So that's just personally for me, that's, that's the option that I love to give that. Now the other short yardage thing that I would do, because if, uh, do you want to talk about the other one first uh, before Let's I go, go for it? Rant? Uh, go. Well, you, give your thoughts on the other third and short, and then I will go into my rant to close that part of short yardage out. <laughs> I, I, which which one do you want to talk about? Well, it's the, um, it was the Kadarius Tony Jets, Tony. I think. Was there another <laughs> one? Because I, I, I'm, I'm. <laughs> I was forgetting about if, if both Tonys were on third down because they had the, 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 the reverse was like a second. It was like a first and 10 or second. I think it was second. Yeah, was, I think it was second. The three, the, the, the pass. The they wouldn't throw yeah. a pass like that on third. Yeah. Down. The, the, the third down. I mean, this is, this is where Andy probably gets a little greedy at times because it was a very well-designed play. It might've worked even better with Mahomes at quarterback. I'm not sure. Um, but my my feeling on it is that it was probably better designed if he gives the ball to Pacheco, but you give you give Katerius Tony a chance to throw the football, he's going to throw the football. I mean, it's it, it, I don't care if it's an RPO or not. You give Katerius Tony an RPO, you give Travis Kelsey an RPO, they're throwing the football. So even if if that run was designed to be a run and give it to Pacheco, who I think if he'd done it, he would have gotten the first down. Um, yeah, there's, I think you kind of put yourself into a hole there with the play call. Yeah. So 
Here's what I'm here's here's rant time for me. Lay it on short me. Short yardage. This is from an offensive lineman mentality. So offensive linemen, here's the thing I'm gonna tell you about you if you don't know about offensive linemen. They take pride in being the people you can lean on, the reliable people, the people yep. that are going to sacrifice themselves and their body for their teammates because that's what the role is, that's what the role requires. And it's you aren't looking for praise. You it's a you're not looking to have be patted on the back or anything. That's just what you're supposed to do. So you want people that are have offensive lineman mentality in any career, any profession, any field. Those are some of the those are some of the people that you can build a corporation or business around because of that mentality. Now I can't speak for basketball or baseball because I didn't play those, but I'm sure there's an equivalent of those at those positions and any other sport you can think of that involves, you know, team soccer as well. That would be another one. So, but I can tell you from a football perspective, that's what linemen are. So when you take away that opportunity for linemen to impose their will on an opponent, it takes a little bit of their heart out more than you realize, because at the end of the day, it's a competition of, can you drive somebody off the ball or not? Do you have pride? Do you have will? And are you strong enough? And are you man enough in some ways to be able to push that opponent and to be able to dominate that line of scrimmage and to get that yard that you need in that moment? And that's what an offensive lineman mentality is. So for me personally, if you're going to do that, then you let them have the power run game and you run it right at them. Because here's the thing with Isaiah Pacheco, he is a power running back. He is not a finesse running back. He does not have the lateral quickness to bounce off tackle. He can do it quickly. If you watch his running style, if he has to stretch to the sidelines, that plays over and done with. Because that's just not where he's at. He loses speed. He loses acceleration. That's just what his athletic ability is. But if he has to make one cut, maybe two cuts, and then get north-south, that's where his strength is. That's where he shines. That's where he gets going and gets that, you know, that startup. Just like, you know, in the Flintstones when uh, Fred is stomping on, you know, that's how he gets the acceleration going. That's what Isaiah Pacheco is. And that's his style. And that's his game. And that's great because it, it, it has a place in the offense. And then you take somebody like McKinnon. McKinnon's got great vision. He's got good speed. His vision's really what shines right now. Athletically, the speed is in slow little increments. You can tell it's not where it was when he first started here, but that's to be expected because of where he's at on the side of 30. So he has his part, he has his part too in his role. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I mean, he's a guy that you want to get the ball out in space in the passing game. He showed that again yesterday. That's where his wheelhouse is. That's where he shines. When you have him do stretch runs or that off-tackle run, he doesn't have the burst anymore to do that. But if you put him in open space, let him use his vision in the passing game and the screen game, that's actually where he that's that's where his role is. Those are what their three roles are. That's where they're successful. So really, you don't have a lateral speed guy that can accelerate like a Jamal Charles, like a Tyreek Hill, even like a McCole Hardman. You don't have those anymore to be able to bounce that stuff outside. So you've either got to let Pacheco power, you've either got to do a little misdirection, or you're, you know, or you have to get creative. And the way that you get creative is you bring in other offensive linemen. I don't need the tight ends right now. They can go out, bring me two other offensive linemen you already got on this roster. Or if you want to get even crazier, take those tight ends and put them in the backfield, whether it's a pistol formation. Or if it's something where uh, we used to call it a triple I to where you had, you had three backs behind the quarterback and like, it's an I formation, but you had an additional 
person that could be a lead blocker or they could misdirect and you could create anarchy. But there's so many opportunities just from those formations and just from that. And then it, it gives that power mentality that I think the Chiefs sorely miss. I mean, the reality part of it is this. In the past, they used to just be able to hand it off to Tyreek on a jet sweep, boom, done. Or they could do the fullback dive that I always hated, no matter how many times it worked. And that was kind of their misdirection, you know, show left, go right, or what, you know, in that aspect of it. Or they used to do the Wildcat to where, you know, it was Spencer Ware and Tyreek and Kelsey, and they could do that part of it. But I mean, the league's seen all that for the past six or seven years. What the league hasn't seen from you is some power, is some creative power run game and some creative power misdirection. I want to see some of that. And if I see some of that, I will be happy. Even if it's not successful, I at least know that they tried to do something different on some of those short yardages. I think it's available for them. I think there's opportunities for it, but it's just a matter of doing it. So I don't want to see fake field goals. I really don't need to see Blake Bell going under center on a QB sneak. I hate QB sneaks. I think QB sneaks are the worst just because I don't need a guy that you're paying $40, $50 million to to put himself in that situation. No, thank you. And I don't care what the stats are. I Get them away from me. I really don't care because that's I, I know what that investment costs and how how quickly that season goes upside down if, then, if that person gets hurt. So just forget about it. That's why you have tight ends. That's why you have running backs. That's why you have alignment. Let them show that you believe in their skill and their will. The one one thing about it, and, and I'm, there's two things I want to note here. One, I, I love the Fred Flintstone comparison for Isaiah Pacheco <laughs> because I now want to just repeatedly, you know, use Flintstonian to describe Isaiah Pacheco. I will absolutely steal that going forward. So when you see it on on social media, you'll know where I got that, people. And, and and two, I mean, I'm I'm not as hardcore as some of the 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 analytics folks who will say, well, you never take the ball out of your hands or your quarterback. I mean, I'm 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 creative enough that hey, I'll I'll occasionally want to do some things outside the box, but I hate unless you're going to make it part of your plan, which I'm still not sure is a great plan. I hate moving Patrick Mahomes out to receiver on those plays because now it's ten on eleven. And you just usually aren't going to win 10 on 11. Yes. That's all I have to say. That's my biggest, my biggest complaint. But you know what? Again, we come back to the whole Andy Reid's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. So at some point it will work and we'll say kudos and kudos to Andy Reid. Kadoos for the Romeo <laughs> Cornell. I love it. For people that don't know, Romeo Cornell used to say that in press conferences sometimes. And that was a guy that looked like he was, uh, when he was coaching there in, in 2012, he looked like uh, looked a guy that was having to play uh, Thursday night football every single week. That was exactly what that, that team looked like. You were correct yeah. about that. Yeah, he, he was, that poor guy was stressed out. I felt so bad for Romeo, man. I mean, he was such a nice guy, such, yeah. you know, such an honest guy, but like you could tell, man. You can tell he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I can, man. <laughs> doing what I can. But I, I really enjoyed the time here with Romeo, I and mean, he was a smart coach, really, really good defensive mind, and just a, just a good guy in general. And he was unfortunately, a, you know, he didn't have the support system he needed above him in terms of player personnel, and uh, that's why the Chiefs uh, went the journey that they went on, and that's why they're at where they're at now. That's where we're enjoying a golden era. But, I mean, think about this. This is one thing I'm going to say. I'm going on another quick rant here, and I apologize. No, we love it, Nick. Do it. But, but like, just think about how far this franchise has come to where the the thing you're frustrated about is that they didn't score enough points. 
that they're not performing well at receiver. Those two things. That's yes. it. You're not wondering if they're going to ever find a franchise quarterback right now. You're not wondering, are they going to be able to have a defense that can make a stop? You're not wondering, can the coaching staff do what they need to? Can this coaching staff, is this coaching staff going to be out coached? You're not worrying about those things. People come into games. They're just wondering how many points are the chiefs going to win by? It's not, Hey, can they win this game today? So I mean, think about it from 2012 till now, just how far that's come and how good that culture is out there and the stability and the expectation that people have on a regular basis. I just think sometimes, I mean, you always want to look forward and move forward, but I think a lot of times Chiefs fans forget how far they've come, how far this organization has come in 10 years to where it's at now, 11 years, you know, whatever you want to call this point. It's, it's come a long, long way to where what the expectation is and the franchise quarterback that they have. And just the fact that, you know how many noon games the Chiefs are going to play this year because of just how popular they are ratings wise? Who, right? And one of them's on a Monday? <laughs> on, on Christmas. <laughs> on Christmas Monday. So, like, I mean, like, that's, you know, like, I mean, that's that's another piece of that puzzle to where you were just dreaming that the Chiefs could be in the national spotlight occasionally a couple times. And Chiefs are in the national spotlight all the time now. Yeah, we we are definitely grading on a curve when uh, we're talking about the bad being the offense being ninth in the league in scoring, and you know, and you're five and one because your defense is number two in the league. I just tried not to <laughs> when I was taking a drink, and you said that we're we're upset about them being ninth in scoring. I was like, oh my goodness, man, those are those are those are those are good problems to have. Um, those are your diamond shoes are too tight kind of problems. Uh, there is there is one other problem that okay. the Chiefs have coming out of this game, however, and that is that they are going to be without Justin Watson for a little while. Uh, dislocated elbow, um, notable because going into last night, he had been their leading wide receiver through the first five games of the season. Um, uh, believe Rasheed Rice has now caught him after his big night last night. But, uh, I mean, definitely going to be a loss, especially because this has been a running back by committee. Um, Andy Reid will tell you Justin Watson was their best complimentary receiver as being the guy who could play all three positions, line up anywhere that you could always trust to run the right route and be somebody who can create traffic and problems to free up other people. You're going to be playing without him for a little while. Good news is no, there's no fracture, but dislocated elbow, it's going to be some time. We'll see if he ends up on IR. Um, now, the Chiefs have the depth. But what's your concern level with the loss of Watson? And do the Chiefs need to look outside the organization for some potential help and assistance? Well, I mean, the first part of it is, I mean, look, you, Mahomes has lost one of the targets he can look to. That is in Travis Kelsey from time to time. And for the most part, I'm just going to, I'm going to say it this way and it's going to be blunt. <laughs> um with whether she rice and Justin Ross, those and, and potentially sky Moore, depending on how the next handful of weeks, you know, go, I think going into the year, the chiefs were wanting to allow rice time to develop, allow Ross time to develop and slowly bringing them along to where maybe they're hitting their stride by week 12, 13, 14 playoff range. And you, they were probably hoping they can lean on NBS and sky Moore to really kind of help this offense go along and help it move along until the other guys are up to speed to where they have full complement 
of everything overall. Watson ended up kind of becoming part of that in terms of his ability and his knowledge to play, as you and I have talked about before, all, you know, pretty much any position that they needed him to because he understood the offense and the playbook to that level and executed everything and had Patrick Mahomes trust, which you could visibly see, just like Travis Kelsey has Mahomes trust. So, like, those were the two guys that Mahomes knew he could lean on. Now you're one of those guys is unfortunately not going to be playing probably for a minimum a month, if not longer. We'll see. Um, But this is where Rice has really kind of started to come along to where I think personally they're looking to kind of make Rice what Juju Smith-Schuster was last year in terms of what they could lean on being that second guy, that reliable guy. And I think with Justin Ross, they would love for him to potentially help be and develop into that type of player, but it's just not going at the same level that Rice is in terms of being able to attack the zones and being able to go at those the way that he's able to and the speed and athletic ability and the confidence. Because here's the thing that people don't realize. Rice is very athletic. He's got just as good athletic ability as Smith-Schuster, if not better. So, and part of it is the reason he's getting quicker than he was before is because he's not having to think as much now. And when players don't have to think about, hey, I got to be in this right spot, and it's just more muscle memory and reaction like it is for Travis Kelsey, then they can play faster and they can play quicker. And that's what Rice is slowly doing. And that's seeing, you're seeing the progression throughout the entire year. Now, the problem comes if there's another injury at wide receiver down the road here, that's when it gets real and you're at bare minimum of what that offense is able to do. And you're going to have to either rely more on the run game to get you through with play action pass or you are going to have to go out for wide receiver help. But in the grand scheme of it, not having Tyreek Hill's speed on this offense anymore has really taken away a lot of who they were and what people are still clamoring for. Having McCall Hardman's horizontal speed, if that makes sense, as yeah. the jet sweep guy in that, that has, and they're trying to have Kadarius Tony do that part of the offense and everything. Like, but, Tony just honestly, he doesn't have that same acceleration that McColl does. You got a little bit better vision, an overall better wide receiver, but he's just not in that same. That's the one thing that McColl had over anybody else on that roster. And Tyreek could do it in a sleep. And, you know, that's just kind of who they were. So the Chiefs are missing that level of speed to give them that part of their offense. Just like when we talked about running back, where they're missing that lateral speed as well. Those are what are limiting what they're able to do in calling their offense and, and kind of being able to have all the puzzle pieces in place. They really need uh, Valdez Scantling to step up and potentially be that guy. They really need Sky Moore to step up and be that guy. And they need Gideris Tony to step up and be those guys. And if they can't do that, then that's when they're definitely, by trade deadline, going to have to go outside and say, hey, is there a speed receiver they can find? Could it be Marquise Brown from the Cardinals? And this isn't necessarily a speed guy, but it'd be another complimentary piece. Could somebody like... Uh, KJ Osborne up with the Vikings. Could he be that uh, other reliable possession receiver that they could pair with Rice? And you're crossing your fingers that Rice stays healthy throughout the entire season because you really don't know when you're getting Richie James back. But I mean, those those are me for me mentally. Those are the two guys that I'm kind of keeping tabs on about what happens over the next month, month and a half, or uh, you know, in that nature. Whenever the trade deadline comes up here towards the end of the month, first to early November range. But I think it's gonna it's gonna have to be somebody that's got. Here's the tough part: you're gonna need somebody that's got speed, somebody that can force teams out of their force safeties deeper, and force them to have to cover deeper to open up stuff over the middle for everybody else. 
And then on top of that, how familiar are they with Andy's offense? Is there something that's similar that they've played in before that they can lean on? And how quickly can they pick up and process that before they get to the playoffs where they're going to need that player? And then is it somebody that they can keep long-term to add to the mix? So all that combined, I mean, it's it's a tough ask, but at some point they're either – I do – I know it sounds bad of me to say, but I do think they're they're either going to need – something speed at receiver or if they need to get something from a running back perspective to add on to pair with Pacheco and McKinnon that one of those two spots, they may need to add something down the road here. But having said all that, if you remember last year, the chiefs offense had a strong week one against the Cardinals. Then they had some struggles, had a strong game against the Buccaneers, then had the, the bills then had just that, knockout performance against the 49ers and really kind of started to become a little bit more consistent. Did they have some struggles along the way against some other teams? Yeah, but that's that's when that offense really started hitting its stride was week seven last year against the 49ers. And oh, hey, it's week seven against the Chargers coming up here and added bonus on top of it. The Chiefs already played. So they, you know, they've got they've got those technically four extra days of rest because the Chargers don't play till Monday night against the Cowboys. So the Chiefs are going to be well-rested. They're going to have plenty of time to come up with whatever they want to scheme-wise and whatever they want to execute. So the Chiefs have every advantage in their favor. It's just a matter of what they can do with it. And I talked way too long, Matt. I apologize. <laughs> I love it. and and, and I, But I, I agree with you completely about you know what they do need from Rasheed Rice. That's, a, that's somebody that they really need to step up because – one, he's, I think he's shown in the last two games that he has the best potential to be the the guy who can at least complement Travis Kelsey as far as being someone who can beat zone coverage because teams are just going to keep throwing zones at them. And, yep. and to mix my sports metaphors, right now the, the Chiefs only have one three-point shooter. You, you need another one. If you can get Rasheed Rice to start hitting some threes, metaphorically speaking, get teams out of that zone, that's what you want. I mean, right now... I mean, the Chiefs are going to be facing a lot of it, and that means that they're just going to have to, as I think we said last week, they're going to have to eat their vegetables and just move the ball in chunks because they don't have the speed that they have had in the past. And they can do that. I mean, you you hit it on the head. You know, you get to week seven. That's when this team found its rhythm last year. I I wouldn't surprise me if it's happened again. Andy Reid's convinced that this offense is going to be fine. And Andy Reid, when it comes to that, has never been wrong. So. I mean, I, I'm. He is seeing something that he likes, and he knows there's something about this group. He feels confident in it. So, I, I, I don't have no reason why I believe why it, they're not going to figure it out eventually. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a man that's going to say, Andy, why are you doing X, Y, Z? I'm definitely not going to be that because that there's so much. If I ever had the time to talk to Andy Reid or Brett Veach, like one on one there's just so much football i want to learn from him and ask him about and scouting and things of that nature that i just i, I would just enjoy hearing and curious about and not necessarily to be like oh here's what they think about this i just i just love learning football and like that that would be so fun just to just to hear their thoughts and just everything they go through but they're all super busy right now um so there's that i totally get that and they're busy all the time <laughs> so i totally get that but no i like i mean the test is going to come November 5th right now. Where's your offense at when November 5th rolls around against the Dolphins in Germany? Like that's 
that's where you're going to kind of find out who they are or aren't at that point. And then you're going to find out again against the, against the Eagles. And then you're going to have to wait till week 14 against the bills in early December. And then you're going to have to wait again until December 31st to see where the Bengals are at and then maybe where the Chargers are at. I mean, you'll find out some with the Chargers this upcoming this uh, upcoming on October 22nd at this point. That'll be the one where, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, yeah, I mean, the tests are coming. So it's just a matter of what the Chiefs are able to do with them when the time arises. Yeah, this this is this next one's going to be a good one. As 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 ugly as it was, looking forward to and not really looking forward to, but maybe surviving through Thursday night football. I'm looking forward to Chiefs and Chargers. I mean, it's going to mm-hmm. be the big biggest test this defense has faced yet, as far as the uh, the quarterback. Um, even though Chargers are scuffling along in some places and have their usual injury issues. I think it's still going to be the the biggest challenge that this defense has seen yet. And if they pass another test, I think they're going to have to start buying in for sure if you haven't already. And the number one storyline at that point is going to be how much did Drew Tranquil help him out? Having been in, uh, having been with the Chargers the past handful of years, what was he able to kind of help him understand that they may not have already known? And can he help him get into the mind of Mister Brendan Staley and what he may do on third, fourth, and and you know what? That maybe we were Dave Tubbs setting something up. Maybe there's something Dave because you know Dave Tubbs got something special. For uh for the Chargers uh, special teams, there's something you know he's cooking up, especially that amount of time to be able because you know Dave Tubbs not going to sit on the fact that they didn't execute that fake field goal to that point because that's going to be the question he's going to get asked and he's going to yeah so he's got he's going to want a redemption he's going to want a redemption there in special teams that's for sure. Well, next time you're in a fake fake field goal situation, to me, the obvious thing is you don't take the ball out of your best player's hands. You put it in Tommy Townsend's arm and let him unleash that gun. Is there a way Tommy Townsend can punt it through the field goal posts and, only, and have only, a drop kick? Only good things happen when the ball's in Tommy Townsend's hand because either he holds for a Harrison Butker field goal, who is perfect on the season, or he throws for first downs. I mean, see? That's all Tommy Townsend does when the ball's in his hands. Or technically, when he catches it to punt it, he changes the field position most. He time. does, and he's doing that better than anybody else right now. See, he's he's all pro. So come on, contract your Tommy Townsend. <laughs> That's right. Oh, <laughs> uh, Nick, it has been another fun one. We've gone much too long, so enjoy editing this one. Uh, but hey, we're just appreciate everybody's here for the ride. So. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining in. Like, subscribe, do all of that stuff so that people can help us find this and uh, be exposed to more and more of our nonsense. Um, see what kind of enthusiast Nick Jacobs will be next week, how many rants he will have. I mean, that's what we're all here for. So but thank you very much. Nick, you have anything else to add? As always, I bid you adieu. Bid you adieu. Thanks, everybody. Take care. We will see you next week after Chiefs and Chargers. You've been listening to 41 is the Mike, presented by KSHB 41, your home of the Chiefs and Chiefs Digest. 